Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. When um, my kids were young, and some of you are probably too young to remember this, but when my kids were young, uh, there was this craze that was happening all around the country. And, and I remember it, and I can't tell you when it started or when it stopped, but it seemed like everyone that I knew had a treadmill in their house. I mean, everybody. Uh, something had happened, and they had finally figured out how to make it small enough and how to make it compact enough, light enough that you could bring it upstairs and cheap enough that everybody could have one, and all of a sudden, everyone I knew had a treadmill in their house, in their living room, most of them in their bedrooms. And you saw these advertisements on TV, and they, they looked like, they looked like, they looked like this. Why were they all smiling? I don't know, because I never had one. I, I never gave in to the temptation, obviously. Um, but I saw these ads, and I looked at these people who were on these ads, and I was thinking to myself, wow, that is amazing. I mean, if you could afford one of these and you had the space in your bedroom to have one of these, you know, you could watch TV or read a book while you're on the treadmill. Everyone had them at home. And then... I remember going to people's houses for a birthday party or a Christmas party, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I know, you've got a treadmill, but every single house I went to when I saw the treadmill, it looked like this, <laughs> right? It was the most expensive clothes hanger that you could possibly find. Everybody had the treadmill, but this is what it looked like. And don't tell me that you took all the clothes off, did your running, and then put the clothes back on. This was a treadmill that was just not in use. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I didn't have a treadmill. I had a bike. Yeah, we know about you guys, too, right? No one used this, these machines. No one did it. See, the thing about the treadmill is it doesn't matter if you have one. It doesn't matter if it's in your bedroom. It doesn't matter if there's a TV right in front of it. If you don't use it, you get no benefit out of it. And it's the same with wisdom. Now, we started last week, we talked, we were in this, this series, uh, we got started in this series on Proverbs, Proverbs, the book of wisdom. The name of the series is Proverbs, Foolproofing Your Life. And if you have been um, following along with us, if you've got your uh, Proverbs wisdom cards, and I know some of you are following online, I know some of you are doing it on the cards, and you've been reading the book of Proverbs, one chapter every day as we've been doing that. And for those of you that are not, that haven't, it's not too late for you to get started. Do you hear me, all of you who are watching online? Um, you can still do it. But listen, when you read Proverbs, there's all this wisdom. There's all of these things that we're saying, don't do this, don't do that. And we can get all of that wisdom. We can get all of those things and we can read them, we can hear them, we can understand them. But if we don't put them into practice, nothing is ever going to happen to us. It's not going to change our lives. We're never going to get wise because essentially being wise is not just having wisdom, but if we want to be wise, we have to apply wisdom. 
We can't just let it sit in the corner of our bedroom and stack our laundry on it. We have to actually put it into practice. And so we looked at that last year, and, and that's what we talked about. We talked about the fact that wisdom is about choices. And wisdom is choosing the right things. It's choosing the right person to marry. It's choosing the right job to take. It's choosing the right career path. It's choosing the right project to work on. It's, wisdom is about never being surprised by other people because you know how people are. Wisdom is never being surprised by yourself because you know how you are. And last week we talked about the fact that moral decisions are so easy to make. If it's a moral decision, we look at it, we know right away, this is right and this is wrong. Legal decisions are so easy to make. We look at it and we can easily say this is right and this is wrong. Allowable decisions are easy to make because we look at them and we can right away say this is right or this is wrong. But it's all the other decisions, all the little ones, all the ones that could be right, could be wrong, that are allowable, that are moral, that are legal, that there's lots of options, but it's those little decisions, and many of you have experienced this, it's those decisions where there's nothing that's really clear-cut that says this is what you're supposed to do that can have the biggest impact on your life, the biggest impact on your life. And so one of the things that we looked at last week was that our choices determine our direction. And our choices are made out of our wisdom or out of our lack of wisdom. And one thing that we will all discover, and many of you who've been around, you already know, is that in life there are two situations, there are two I think situations is probably the right word. Two situations that we all encounter fairly regularly, that, that, all come, that come upon us over and over again in our lives. And it's one of the things that we're going to look at today. And so we're going to put the verses up on the screen. If you want to follow along, we're going to start in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to start with a verse that a lot of people, if you grew up in the church or if you had a, a, a parent or an aunt, or someone in your life who was a very religious, very church-going person, you probably heard them talk about this verse, or you've probably seen a plaque, or seen it on a calendar. It's a very popular verse out of Proverbs, and it goes like this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Now, that seems pretty straightforward. Trust in the Lord with your heart. For a lot of people, though, especially, you know, we spent 15 years um, in Central Florida, which technically is the South, and when you're in the South, there's a lot of sayings, and one of the sayings that they always say is, girl, just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. What does your heart say? Just do what your heart says. You know, it's one of those things that you tell people. And yet, clearly, the wisest man in the world says, no, 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 no. Don't trust your heart. Trust the Lord with your heart. Don't depend on what you think is best. And it says, and it closes with this in the next verse. It says, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Some of you read this when you were growing up, and the verse ended, and he will make your paths straight. 
right? Uh, it, it's a very popular verse. Now, that phrase, show you which path to take, it actually, when you translate it out of the Hebrew, it actually means it will make your paths straight. And I love this because sometimes we're on a crooked path. We're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. We're places that we shouldn't be. And what Solomon is saying here is that if we seek God's will, that he takes our crooked path and he makes it straight. But it also has this inference that it removes obstacles from your path. That not only does he make the path straight, but when there's something in front of you that is keeping you from going to where you want to go, that God removes the obstacle from your path. And so when we come to this place where we say, okay, listen, I, God, I just know that I have been making bad decisions, and so I'm going to put my decision-making ability aside, and I'm going to put you out there for a minute. Well, he helps us make wise decisions. He helps us make the right decisions. That's what wisdom does. Not only that, he makes our borderline decisions, right, the ones that are, eh, he makes those good. And he makes the decisions that we make that seem like it's impossible. He takes those obstacles that are in the way and he pulls them aside. He takes them out of the way. And all of this that he's talking about here is he's talking about wisdom. Wisdom will guide you in choosing the path that you're supposed to take. Wisdom will take your borderline decisions and will make them good decisions. Wisdom will find the things that are keeping you from getting to where you want to be. And wisdom will take it away. But see, it's not enough to have wisdom. And, and, and I had somebody come up to me and, and say, when are we going to get into the good parts of Proverbs where it talks about don't do this and don't do that? And we're going to get into a little bit about that. But the fact is, is when you read Proverbs, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear in what it says that this is the way you should take and this is the way you should not. See, our problem with Proverbs for most of us, for those of you who grew up as Christians, the problems that we have with Proverbs is not that we don't know where it is or we don't know what it says. It's that we don't trust it. We have a hard time saying, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You see, it's not enough to have the wisdom. You can carry uh, the book around with you everywhere you go, but if you don't use it, then you won't be wise. Because being wise is not just having wisdom. Being wise is using wisdom. And what we're going to see is that as the writer of Proverbs is going to talk to us through this chapter, he is going to take two situations that will either make us wiser or make us more foolish. Two situations that all of us here, if we haven't, will at one time or another in our life go through. In fact, some of you understand this. It's something that you'll go through over and over and over again. And when we read these two situations, we're going to look at them and it's going to seem like they have nothing to do with each other, but actually it's very specific about how they're written because we're supposed to compare them with each other. So it goes like this, and, and we're in verse 9 of the same chapter. And this is the verse. It starts in verse 9, and this is what he writes. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The best part. Now, in this society where they are reaping and they're harvesting, where they're raising animals and livestock, the best part is always the first part. 
right? If you've ever had a fruit tree or if you've ever had a vegetable garden, the first run that you pull through is always the best. It's always the, the largest. And, and even with animals, you, you always seem to get the best the first time out. And this is what he's talking about. He says, honor God with your wealth, with the best part or the first part. Some of you who grew up in church, this is talking about the first fruits, right? You may have heard that before. If you, if you take the first of what you get, you honor God with it, well, you'll be prosperous. That's what it says. And there are a lot of people who've written books about this. There's a lot of uh, churches that you can go to, and they will tell you all about the importance of this and the inference of this. And, and it's all true. And in fact, even if you're not a Christian, even if you, if you are, 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 have not been raised in the church, isn't this verse what you would expect Scripture to say? I mean, isn't this what we would expect a book about God to say about God? That if we take our stuff and we honor him with it, that he is going to pay it back to us, that we're going to be prosperous, that we're going to be wealthy, that, that something special is going to happen to us? This is what we expect God to write. But then you go to the next two verses. Not, not yet. Here's the, the second part of this verse. Because if we do that, if we honor God with, with our first fruits, he says this, then he will fill your barns with grain, because that was how they had banks back then. right? They didn't put their money in a bank. They put their grain in a barn, and their vats will overflow with good wine. Not the boxed wine that you buy at Walgreens. <laughs> right? With good wine. And so we read these verses, and we think, okay, this is talking about prosperity. And to some degree it is, but in the next two verses, listen to what he says. He says this. He says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. And it goes on and he says this, for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Now, I'm going to go back. Now, that word discipline, and it's the same word in this translation, it, it changes it to corrects, but it's the same word, and that word discipline means pain. It's, it's bringing pain, and, and, and if you're a parent, you know this. When your child is disobedient, what, what you do is you bring pain into their lives, right? So if my son, when he was young, actually, my son still do, does this, so... Uh, it's not when he was young. But if I tell my son, don't play with the football in the house, right? That's the rule. No football thrown around in the house. And he does it. And he knocks over a vase. And it shatters everywhere. And now there's a big mess. Plus, we don't have the vase anymore. I get upset. And what do I do? Well, he's taller than me now. So spanking is no longer an option, right? But I can tell him I'm not giving you any more money. Uh, you are grounded. You have to stay home this weekend. You can't go to your friend's birthday party. I bring pain into his life, but I don't bring pain into his life to try to punish him. I bring pain into his life because I'm trying to make him a better person, right? And that's what discipline is. Discipline is, is pain. But then look what it says here. It says, for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. That word in the Hebrew is the word musar. Discipline. It's the word musar. 
And where we see Musar written into, in Scripture, everywhere we see it, we never see it used to mean punishment. When you read the scriptures from the Old Testament, there's a lot of times where God, it's talking about God and the punishment that he brings on evil people. But this word is never used for punishment. It's discipline for the sake of the person who's being disciplined. See, it's not bringing pain in order to hurt them. It's bringing just enough pain to make the person a better person. And it's hard for us sometimes to understand that because some of us had parents, had fathers in our lives who we believe, or at least it felt like at the time, that the discipline wasn't just to make me better, it was because he was really ticked off, right? And so he not only wanted to make us better, maybe that was part of it, but it sure felt like he was punishing us because we upset him. And so that's what we think that God was like. But that's not what God does. His discipline is to, cor is to correct a child in whom he delights. And so when we read these four verses together, we see that no matter who you are, no matter how close to God you are, no matter how good you are, all of us are going to at one time in our lives, over and over again, back and forth, we're going to experience times of great success and times of great suffering. There will be times when it seems like everything is going our way and there's going to be times when it seems like nothing is going our way. Times when it feels like we're hitting all the green lights and times where it feels like every red light possible we are bumping into. And for most of us, we rarely hit the extremes. We kind of stand around in the middle and, and we, we, we float back and forth, and there are times where it seems really good and times where it, it's kind of not really that great. But at some point in our lives, all of us will experience times of great success and times of great suffering. And what Solomon is telling us here, what the writer is telling us in these verses, is that in those times, we will see whether or not we're getting wiser or we're getting more foolish. It's in those times of great failure or great success that we're going to see whether or not we're becoming wise, whether or not we're heading on the path of wisdom or we're heading on the path of foolishness. But it'll also be an opportunity for us to become wiser or become more foolish. Because it's in those times, it's in the times where we're experiencing everything going our way, where it feels like life is good, that we see what's really in our hearts. And it's also in those times when everything is going bad, when it seems like our world is falling apart, that we see what's in our hearts. And sometimes what happens is, is we see things that we didn't expect to be there. We see things in us and we're shocked to discover that that's actually who we are. And when those things come out, because they will, how we respond to them will either make us wiser or make us more foolish. And if we face it, if we admit it, if we, if we come to this place where we can face it head on and do something about it, we'll become wiser. But if we deny it, if we blame it on someone else, if we don't take it on, then we become more foolish. And many of us have seen this. We've seen this in our lives. 
We've seen people in our lives who've, who've gotten everything that they've wanted, and we've seen how they dealt with getting everything that they wanted. And we've seen people who've completely fallen apart, and we've seen how they've dealt with it too. C.S. Lewis, who was a, a great Christian writer, uh, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and in that book he says this. He says, the excuse for most of my sinful moments that immediately springs to my mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off my guard like a rat who didn't get enough warning. Now, this is what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying, if you want to find out if there are rats in your basement, then what you want to do is not walk up to your basement door really, really loudly and swing the door open so that it bangs and say, I wonder if there are any rats in my basement. I'm going to go see. And you flip on the light and you stomp down the stairs and you look around and you say, aha, I have no rats. My basement is clear. C.S. Lewis is saying, no, 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 listen, if you want to find out if there's rats in your basement, that's not what you do. See, what you do is you walk up to the door and you slowly open the door. And you leave the lights off because you've been down those stairs a million times. And so you start to creep down the stairs very, very quietly. And then when you get to the very bottom, you flip the switch and you jump down and you go, aha! And all of the rats start scurrying around everywhere. That's what you do if you want to find out if there are rats in your basement. You have to surprise them. You have to shock them. And that's the same thing that happens with us. That's what he's saying. He's saying that when we go through great success or great suffering, it's like we see what is in the basement of our hearts. That we jump down there and we see what's really going on. And sometimes it's things that we didn't think were there. And what we do when we're there, what we do when we see all of those things scurrying around are going, is going to determine whether or not we're going to be wiser or whether or not we're going to become more foolish. And he even tells us why. In chapter 10, he says this. He's writing and he says, The earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. Now think about that word, earnings. Earnings, it's, it's income, it's your paycheck, it's your dividend check, it's your investments. See, he's talking about somebody finally showing you the money, that you've actually seen it, you're getting stuff now. But he talks about it in these terms of godly and evil people. So who are they? A theologian once wrote, he said that the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. And what he's saying is, is that whether we are good or evil is very much intertwined in how we deal with all of the people who are around us. That whether or not there is something in our hearts that makes us tend towards the good side or tends towards the evil side has very much to do with how we treat the people who are around us. And in times of great success, the wise and unselfish person will become even more wise and even more unselfish. But 
if you are a foolish person, if you are a person who knows where the wisdom is but doesn't apply it, then in times of great success, you will become even more foolish. In fact, Scripture tells us that the worst thing that God can possibly do to a person who is far away from him is give him everything that he dreams. Because most people cannot handle success and they tend to go to a place that they never imagined that they could go when things start going right for them. See, it goes on to say this and then in the next verse. It says, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. See, suffering, bad times, adversity, challenges in our life, times when it seems like everything is going wrong, those are the times that reveal who we really are. And the way that we know that we are wise is that a wise person can go through suffering and it doesn't break them. It doesn't destroy them. In fact, in that suffering, the wise person actually becomes wiser. You see, both success and suffering amplify what's already in your heart. So if you are a good person and money just falls on top of you, you'll become, you're, 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 you're an even better person. But if you are a selfish person, if you are a person who only thinks about yourself, then when success comes, all of those bad things that are in you, they come out. Just like the rats in the basement, they come out. Success and suffering amplify what's in your heart. And it determines how you deal with it, determines whether or not you are going to become wiser or you are going to become more foolish. Every once in a while, the, the lottery makes big news and, and we see it all over the place, right? Super Lotto and, and, and uh, what's the one that is, is everywhere? Multiple states? Mega Millions? Um, Powerball, right? This is not an advertisement for the lottery. But you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, the, the, the lottery becomes really huge and, and it's all over the news. And one of the things I tell people is, is and this is not mine, I didn't make this up, I heard this from somebody else. He said that if, if, um, if he ever wins the lottery, before he tells anybody, he's going to call all of his relatives and he's going to ask them if he can borrow $10,000. He's going to say, hey, I need to borrow $10,000. I really need this money. Because he knows that they're all going to say no. That they're all going to say, no, I don't have $10,000, sorry. So that once he goes out and he tells everybody that he won the lottery, everybody who we asked to borrow $10,000 from, he can just say, no, remember that time I borrowed, tried to borrow $10,000 from you? Right? And, and, so, and, and so he's got a plan. So that they can say no. So he can keep it all to himself. But for most of us, when, when, we, when we think about winning the lottery... In fact, it's not even just us, for most people, because they've done studies on this, on people who've won the lottery. And for most people, when you ask them, hey, listen, you know, they'll spend their, their $2 and they'll buy the one ticket. Or, or there's some of you who'll spend the $200 and you'll buy the 100 tickets. And, and someone will say to you, or you'll even think to yourself, what am I going to do if I win the lottery? And we have very similar things that we will do, right? I mean, we all want to do good things, so we talk about it. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to buy my parents 
a beautiful house out in the country. I'm going to buy all of my brothers and sisters brand new Teslas, all of them, with charging stations in their houses, right? I'm going to pay for my kids' college so they'll never have to worry again. I'm, I'm going to go and find my family a nice house in the suburbs uh, so that we don't have to deal with living in the city anymore. I'm going to take my family on a six-month cruise around the world. We have all these great plans that we're going to do with the money if we could just win. And then, of course, we say, you know what? If I win the lottery, God, I'm going to give you 10%. No, I'm going to give you 25% of the money. Do you hear that, God? I win 25%, right? I am going to build a brand new church just for you. And so we say, God, you just, you just got to make this happen, right? Make it happen, and you know we got this thing going on. So you lay out all these plans of all the good that you're going to do with the money that you get from winning the lottery. And then you say to yourself, because most people do, they'll say, but first, I'm gonna do something for me. And so let's say you win the lottery and it's 109 million, right? That's the, that's the big thing and you buy your ticket, it's 109 million. You plan out everything that you're gonna do with the 100 million. But the nine million, I mean, that's just change, right? That's just rounding off the number. No one's gonna miss the nine million. And so you think to yourself, with that nine million, I'm going to do something just for me. No one will notice. It's just nine million. I'm going to do all these great, wonderful things with the hundred. But with that nine million, with that little bitty part that no one is going to miss, you have something planned that you're going to do that's just for you. Something that you're not going to tell anyone about, something that you're not going to talk about, but you know what it is. You know what you want to do. And for most people, what they want to do is something that they could never do without the kind of money that they would get from winning the lottery. And so you tell yourself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use it. It's just once. It's just to celebrate. And no one ever has to know. Because that's what's in our hearts. And for most people, unfortunately, that thing that we're going to do, that thing that, that we want to do but we just can't do it right now, is usually something that we think is not a good thing to do. That, that we would hide from other people, that we wouldn't tell other people that this is really what's in my heart that I want to do with that little bit. And we justify it by saying, everything else is going to be great. I'm going to be so generous with the rest of it if I can just do this little thing for me. Success, money, good times, they amplify what's in our heart. They take what's in our heart and they make it bigger and clearer. And even the bad times, they do the same things. We've all been there where, where it seems like we're going through the week and, and everything is bad is happening around us and we, we get to the end of the week and it's just been a horrible week and we say to ourselves, I deserve something and we go out and we do something that we normally wouldn't do. We go out and eat too much or drink too much or smoke too much or drive too fast or gamble away too much. We do something that, that normally we wouldn't do but because in the bad times and in the good times, what's in our heart becomes amplified. So what do we do? 
How do we become wiser? How do we make the right decisions? Well, for some of you who have been reading Proverbs, if, let's see, today should be day seven, right? If you've been coming along with us on this journey. And, and listen, if you want to start, you can catch up. Seven, ch- seven chapters is not very long. You can probably do it in about 10 minutes. And you can grab one of these cards in the back, or you can uh, go online and, and follow along with us on the Version app. I know there's a bunch of you that have been following along there. But you can read all of these things that is in this book that says these are, this is how you should live your life if you want to have a successful, a good, a right living, a just, a peaceful life. These are the things that you have to do. These are the things that you have to, to, to lean towards. These are the decisions that you have to make. It's all in there. And our problem is, is that when we see things like this, we don't take it as an instruction. We take it as a suggestion and so we'll read through it and it'll say do this do that and we'll go okay that sounds right and that yeah that I think will work but this no way I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to stop doing this and we'll justify it and we'll say you know this was thousands of years ago they couldn't possibly know what I'm going through in my life they couldn't possibly experience the things that I'm experiencing And so we read through it and we pick through it and we do this, but we don't do that. But the wisest man who ever lived was very clear. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. See, the problem with our own understanding is, is when we get a little bit of success, we start to think that we're better than we are, right? Things start going our way. And people will say, man, you are so great. And you'll go, nah. But inside you're going, yeah. Right? We start to take credit for it. We start to think that we're better than we are. How many times have we seen somebody who's, who's been in, a, in an industry or, or, or in a business and, and their business explodes and all of a sudden they're like a billionaire and now they think they know everything about everything because we lean on our own understanding. And we don't have to be billionaires. We know this in our hearts. We do this. And so as we read through this book and as we see God's wisdom, we don't want to take it as it is. We want to take the parts that seem right. And we think that if we just do the things that look right, but ignore the things that we really don't want to do, that everything will be all right. But you see, he says, seek his will in all you do. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.